the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today's broadcast of Abounding Grace has us back in the book of Galatians chapter 1 and Isaiah chapter 53. It's the authority of the gospel and the challenge for you and I to make it the authority in our lives as well. The ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. This is Abounding Grace. Our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, returns us to our series in Galatians. We're still in chapter one, looking at the first few verses. It is the foundation that Paul lays for the rest of this book as he challenges the church at Galatia, as well as you and I today, to make Christ our everything. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. There is this constant emphasis in the writing of the New Testament on the God-centered nature of the one true gospel. It originates with God in the fullest sense of the word. The gospel then rests on God's decision and God's calling, not on man's decision and not what man does. The initiative is with God. Look at verse 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Now, this is how he could have said it if he was a modern-day Protestant. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him whom you decided to follow one day when you went forward in church. No. It is, I'm amazed you are so quickly deserting him who called you. You see, time and again, the emphasis on what God does to make you a Christian, not in what you do in response. Now, what you do in response is of tremendous significance. If you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of your sins, you're going to go to hell. But you cannot and will not believe or even repent until God has called you with a voice that raises the dead out of darkness into his light. The initiative is all of God, all the way down the line. But what do we hear in pulpits today? Still, as if no one has ever criticized them for it. We still hear preachers who look at an audience and a people and say, you take the first step and God will do the rest. You, though, have got to take the initiative. You've got to show some spunk and some interest. Well, that's good Arminianism, but that is lousy Paul. That originated with man, not with God. Besides, how many steps can a dead man take? You are dead in your trespasses and sins. Besides that, our text says the origin of the gospel and its effects are with him. God must take the initiative in order for you to be saved. I heard a great evangelical say one time, as the Bible says, 
God helps those who help themselves. Well, number one, there's no such verse in the Bible, nor is there even such a thought there. We are all sunk because a dead man can be of no help to himself whatsoever. But besides that, it puts the initiative with man rather than with the living God. And the great emphasis of the gospel is that it from first to last comes from God, not man. First of all, God determined that there would be a gospel and what that gospel would be and who would be saved by it in eternity before the creation of the world. God took the first step before there was any of us walking around on the planet before there was a planet to walk around on. The initiative was with God. But not only is the initiative with God in eternity past, but also in your own personal experience with God. The initiative is also with Him. It was God who acted in your life, raising you from spiritual death and enabling you to repent and put your faith in Him. It is not that you put your faith in Him and enabled God to act. It is God by a sovereign grace that enabled you to believe and then you believed. So even in your own personal experience, the initiative is with God. Our salvation, every aspect of it, the gospel of Christ and all of its parts originates with God, not us. It depends upon the decision of God, not upon the decisions of humans. I love this quote from Spurgeon. Not one stitch of your salvation garments has been sewn by your hand. You contribute nothing, nothing to your salvation. Not one single aspect of your salvation depends on you or me. God does it all. For of him and through him and to him all are all things. To him be the glory forever. Or as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.30 and 31, By his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Of him by his doing we are in Christ. And we have all of these blessings of salvation because of what he has done, not because of anything that we have done. And Paul and God did it that way so that we will have no basis to boast in ourselves at all, to be proud of ourselves at all, to take any credit to ourselves. But so we would boast in God alone. Salvation is all of God. Consider these four things. The living God planned salvation before the world began. He planned that there would be such a thing, what it would take in order to provide salvation, and who would be saved by that plan of salvation. God then, after having planned salvation before the beginning of time, actually accomplished our salvation historically and really in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ... It, God in Christ did exactly what he planned before the beginning of time. And it was that accomplishment of salvation that was the significance of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Then what did God do next? Now, I hope you understand. I'm trying to impress you with the fact that God has done it all. 
God planned it before the beginning of time. God accomplished it all by himself on the cross. That was the significance of the apostles fleeing from him. Because Jesus was then all alone with no one helping. It was all of God. And then what did God do next? He announced the reality and availability of that salvation through Christ's apostles. By his spirit, he told the apostles to tell the world salvation is real. It is here. It's done. And God did all of that by himself. The apostles didn't add one word. They didn't add one thought. The revelation of the announcement of the gospel to us through the apostles is all of God from beginning to end. It is spirit-produced thoughts in spirit-produced words, and it is God-breathed. Then what did God do? Then by His Holy Spirit, He actually brings salvation into our personal experience, applying all of this blessing into our lives. Well, how how could something that took place 2,000 years ago benefit you today in the 21st century? After all, you can't reach back in time and somehow pull it out by your own puny little arms. So how are you today affected? Why is it that your own personal experience is so transformed and affected day after day by something that took place 2,000 years ago that was planned before the beginning of time? It was because of God. It is because God, the Holy Spirit, has taken that which which he purchased for us 2,000 years ago and has brought it into our lives. You see, it's all of God. The gospel in all of its parts is from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot do without the word of Christ. We cannot do without the spirit of Christ applying our salvation to us. And in each of these incidents, it is all of God, and you can't take credit for any of it. So I asked you, beloved, not only are you believing that the gospel of salvation that is all of God for which you can take no credit, but I ask you, have you diluted in any way the supernatural nature of that gospel? Tried to make something less sovereign, less supernatural? less divine than it is, so that in some small measure, you can take pride that you at least took the first step. Or you let go and let God have his way in your life as if he is not going to have his way until you let him go. In other words, you've got to take the initiative, you think. That's no gospel. As a dead man, you're not holding to anything to let go of. I have no strength to hold on to anything. Have you in any way taken any of the supernatural out of the gospel of Christ so that in some small way you can take credit for it? Well, well, at least I let go. Or at least I I made a decision. You know, that first step. It, It was a halting step, but I did take it. Are you taking credit for anything you think you did? Are you clinging to anything in your past that you are boasting on? Uh, Well, I at least did this. Beloved, if you did anything right, it is because of God and not because of you. 
The only gospel there is is a gospel that originates with God from beginning to end, not man. Number three, it is a gospel for all kinds of sinners. Now, where did I get that? In verses 3 through 5, I got in the use of the word our. Did you see how he repeatedly used that word? He says in verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might rescue us out of this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forevermore. So who is the hour? It is Paul himself and the members of the churches of Galatia. Our sins. Who was Paul? Paul was a brutal, bloodthirsty persecutor of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, he was a sinner. And after he became a Christian in his eyes, he was the worst sinner that ever lived. And every time he brought up those early days when he persecuted the Christians, it would break him and make him run to Christ again and be grateful to him for forgiving him of such tremendous evil in his life. But who were the Galatians? The Galatians were quite a sinful lot also. Look at some of the things Paul warns them about, which were because of some direct problems going on. Look at chapter 5, verse 19. Now, the deeds of the flesh, that is, the deeds of the people who are given to rebellion against God. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, in, in Enmities, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissension, fractures, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. When? Before the Galatians became Christians, they did these things. The gospel is for all kinds of sinners. Some of these people who were members of the church of Galatia were former pagan cultists. In, in, in fact, it has been said that they may have been a community of Celts, pagan worshipers that had lived in that part of Turkey for centuries. Well, what is the point of all this? The gospel is for sinners. It's not for self-righteous people. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. So if you're smug about yourself and self-satisfied and you think you've got it all figured out and you can handle God all right. And when it comes to death, everything is going to be all right between you and God. And, you've not going, um, and you're not going to fool with all these little doctrines contained in the gospel. You're just going to go on living like you always have. Jesus didn't come to call you. He didn't come to call the smugly righteous. He came to call sinners. So if you feel you are guilty of your sin, you're convicted of it, you want to be free of it, I don't care what it is, then I tell you, the gospel is for you. There's no person too wicked for God to save. You say, but you don't know about my life. God, I don't need to, beloved. There's no person too wicked for God to save to transform, to forgive him of all of his sins and change his life. The Bible says, whoever thirsts, 
Whoever thirsts, let him drink of the water of life. Not whoever deserves it. Not everyone who can prepare himself for it. Not, every, not whoever brings the best looking crystal goblet to the fountain. But whoever thirsts, let him drink of the water of life. Do you thirst? Do you thirst for forgiveness of sins and freedom from your sinful habits and sinful desires and your rebellion against God? Do you thirst? Do you long for that day when you can be free from these things? Then you have one thing to do. Drink from the fountain. Don't put it off any longer. Don't wait a second more. No matter what you have done in your life. If you wish and are thirsty to be free from your former life. And all of its regrets and all of its guilt. Just put your mouth to the fountain. Whoever thirsts. However big a sinner he has been. Let him drink of the water of life freely. For the gospel is for all sinners, all kinds of sinners, not clean, nice, sweet smelling sinners, but all kinds of sinners who thirst for freedom from their sins. Fourth is a gospel that rests on the sacrificial redemptive death of Jesus Christ. It is a gospel of grace and peace. It is a gospel that originated with God, not man. It is a gospel for all kinds of sinners. And it is a gospel that rests on the sacrificial, redemptive death of Jesus Christ. Verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins. Obviously, understanding the death of Christ is to understand the gospel. It is right at the basis of it. And not only understanding the death of Christ, but banking your eternally, eternal destiny on the work that the Lord Jesus Christ performed in his death is essential to saving faith. The death of Christ was not merely a display of love. You know, that's what we hear. Here is how far a man should go in his love for God. He must be willing to die if necessary. And the death of Jesus is the greatest display of how far a man should go in loving God. That is not the meaning of the death of Christ, nor is the death of Christ simply an example of heroism. Here is a man, a hero, who is calling, who is willing to die for what he knew was right and not compromise his conscience and his innocence, no matter what suffering he ensues. This is an example of what it means to be a hero. No, that is not the meaning of Christ's death. Nor was Christ's death an unnecessary tragedy. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ was a deliberate sacrifice for sin. Beloved, you have to understand that to put your faith in Christ. And you have to put your faith in Christ as one who laid down his life as a sacrifice for sins. For the full gospel and all the benefits rest on what Jesus did on the cross. Let me just remind you of some of the verses in the New Testament that speak of Christ's death as a sacrifice. In Galatians 3.12, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. We were cursed. Christ delivered us from that curse by sacrificing himself in our place as a substitute to bear the curse of our, that our sins deserve. Galatians 6.14, may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 
Paul says, the death of Christ means so much to me. I recognize its important importance that because of that death, all of the allurements and the attractions and the seductions of evil and unregenerate society has the pull on me that it would have on a dead man. If you set up a line of beautiful prostitutes before a dead man, how alluring are they to that dead man? Will they have any attraction to him? He's dead to them. Paul says that pull that seduces so many has the effect on me that it would have on a dead man because of the crucifixion of Christ and him regenerating me from that life. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6. Christ gave himself as a ransom. You've seen enough movies. I, I'm, I'm sure you have where someone is kidnapped, kidnapped and Someone has to then pay a ransom to buy the person out of his enslavement. And the Bible says we are in slavery and the Lord Jesus Christ paid that ransom to God that was necessary in order to buy us out of the slavery of our sins. Titus chapter 2 verse 14. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us. He gave himself in our place on our behalf that he might buy us out of the slave market of sin. Beloved, I know you've heard these a million times, but I want you to focus on this. This is the work of Christ. This is the gospel. Ephesians 5.2 Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Isn't that powerful imagery? Christ gave himself for us, an offering, because he loved us. And it was a sacrifice to God which was a fragrant aroma. Paul took that out of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, whenever a sacrifice was offered at the tabernacle or at the temple, the smoke out of that burning substitutionary sacrifice ascended into the heavens. And it says in great metaphorical terms that that smoke from that sacrificial ritual was a soothing aroma in the nostrils of God. Christ gave himself the entirety of his life from the time he was conceived until the time he arose from the dead, he was dedicated. He was dedicated to the accomplishment of our salvation. He didn't begin shedding his blood for us when he died on the cross. He was shedding his blood for us, sweating, as it were, great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. And throughout his life, he was suffering under the load of our sins and he began suffering for us when he was just a little teeny baby. Why? Because he was God who came to live in our flesh. They took him and crucified him. But he began suffering for sinners such as we throughout his life until at the end of the life every drop of blood came from his veins. Because he gave himself in the entirety of his glorious life that we might be saved throughout eternity. So I ask you, what does that do to you? How does that affect you? Does the knowledge of that make your life any different? Are you sitting there just as bored when you walked in that door? 
For someone who believes it, by God's grace, he will never get over it. He can never thank God enough. He can never thank and sing about the death of Christ enough. And he can never love him enough. And never live good and faithful enough. And his heart is filled to the point of bursting with gratitude and with praise. Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for you. Now I ask you, I plead with you to live like people for whom Christ died. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. (music) 